fucking love that scene. Okay, so. <clears throat> Welcome back to the Film Site Podcast, everybody. My name is Brian Archie, and I'm here with... Chris Lucky. And today we're going to be talking about... Uh, the fuck is it? First Reformed. First Reformed. <laughs> with Ethan Hawke. But before we do any of that, condiments, ketchup, mustard, the whole bit. The ketchup, the also, mustard. The before relish. we start, okay. I can't help but notice that you have several pictures of very delicious looking food yes. open in your browser and mm-hmm. your laptop. Yes. Is that just inspiration or are you just like... I was um I, so so I was in, I went to Canada this um this for the past four days mm-hmm. and um there were these noodles that I really liked and I didn't know the name of them so I googled thick fat really big noodles <laughs> I think you were talking about udon noodles no they but the Shanghai noodles Shanghai noodles. that's apparently where they're called okay you see these big big thick ass noodles yes they're like spaghetti noodles but just very thick I fucking love them I, I love that they were so good I mean I I got Shanghai noodles so often they were really good fucking Asian food is delicious it is yes. Oh, oh, but like, oh, well, well, um, so we fucked up again. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's the thing. Yeah. We didn't fuck up. Mm. Logic X mm. fucked up. Okay. I'm not going to take blame from it. I'm blaming the software. You know, I like, tried again. It happened once. Yeah, the saying, only like, blame that I'm taking <laughs> is that I tried again. Yes. I'm that saying. is the only blame that I'm taking. Yeah. It's but not still. my fucking fault. <laughs> fuck you, Logic. <laughs> when I figure you out, we'll talk. <laughs> but for now, mm. we're balking at Dolby Edition. Yes. Um, the God tried and true, it. yeah. God damn it. Yeah. I hate that Adobe is like the reliable one. It I is. hate it. I it hate is. it. Yeah. So I don't want to pay 50 bucks a fucking month for my software. I mean, just use the one that I'm using. No, no, that I mean, yeah. that's true, but like, yeah. I'm using the one that you're paying for. Oh, obviously, fuck it. Nice. But like, yeah, but I just hate, yeah. I just hate that. It costs, yeah. Like it costs 50 bucks a month. You know? I mean, but yeah, it's, it's reliable. Like it's not the best, but it's just like, it's, my, it's the same argument that I have with Apple. Like right. I know it's not the best, you know, yeah. but it's like, I, but it works <laughs> and it's reliable. Can't fucking fault it. Yeah. So we're back again. Yep. Same deal as last week. Yep. Um, my phone is fucking ringing now. I'm yep. a professional. Oh, yes. I'm a goddamn <laughs> fucking professional. Hey. I know what I'm doing. I promise you. Turning my fucking phone off. All right. How are you, Chris? How you doing? Ah, uh, good. Like, um, we were talking about the um, the Canada trip. I just got back from there, did four days, and I had no idea that the majority of the population, just from my time there and my perspective and the people that I've seen, was at least like seventy percent Asian in all of Canada. You That's know, fucking interesting because like, you hear a lot about the French Canadian. French Canadian, yeah. And, and when you, and you get to the airport, and so many signs are in um, in English, then in French, mm-hmm. and everybody that I'm seeing is Asian. Like they have, there's a Chinatown, there's a Koreatown, and there's just all different con- kinds of Asians there. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the food is just so diverse because Asia is big as shit. Yeah. <laughs> there's, you know, so there's so many different kinds I, of Asian people. I want an anthropologist to say that <laughs> on television. Yeah. Hey, food in Asia is really varied. Yep. Because it's big as shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then just have that be <laughs> the clip. Yep. It's fucking big. It is. It's different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But they um but in Toronto they had a um a full underground um like a walkway called the path mm-hmm. to where you can walk the entire length of the city just from being underground. So you kind of escape all the cold and all of that. And uh people are very helpful. I mean it was it was nice. Got to go to the CN Tower. Got to uh, have lunch with Justin Bieber and Alanis Morissette. Yeah. And uh, uh, the trailer saw park Ryan boys. Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, yeah, he Ryan was there for brunch. Yeah, he yeah, was there for sure. brunch. Was Blake Lively with him? 
Ah, uh, no, Blake Lively wasn't there. No, 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 I guess she's no. not Canadian. I, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure on her on, on her background. You know, like who's yeah. Canadian? Who the Trailer Park Boys? Trailer Park Boys. Yeah, they they were they're there. Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Avril Lavigne. She sang "Complicated" and "Skater Boy" like right in the middle of lunch. I was like, come on, give give it a rest. You know, <laughs> like, take like, it easy, yeah, Avril. Yeah. Like we know that those were your bops, but yeah. it's not fucking 2004 anymore. Exactly. And you know, yeah. Atlanta Morissette was there. Like, isn't it ironic? I'm like, if you don't shut the fuck up, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yes, we're in Canada, and she's singing "Complicated." Right? Yes, I get it. Yeah. All right, but but chill out. Fine. <laughs> eat, your, eat your Shanghai noodles. Yeah. Um. <laughs> no, but it was it was a really it was a really cool experience just just being there. Um, I would go back, um, but um, yeah, it's, it's it's a nice area. It's nice. Yeah, I've heard Canada is like really nice. The it's people beautiful. are like generally polite and whatever. And also, it snows like a motherfucker. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there, um, that's the only thing that would stop me from going to Canada. The snow. Like, to like live in Canada. Oh, to live. Yeah. If someone told me, "Hey, you want to fucking move to Canada?" I'd just be like. Yeah. Can I leave in the snowy months yeah. and then come back on the not snowy yeah, months? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because, yeah. like, I like the cold, but I don't like, like, 10-degree cold. Yeah, it's cold. I don't like, like, minus 5-degree cold, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if I walk outside and I can die, I'm yeah. not going to live there. You're definitely I'm just good. not going not yeah. gonna to do that. The, the thing that it, that it did help was, like, step up my game for my cold weather game. Right. Like, the people here, they live in it all the time, you know, so they, they're dressed for it. So I was seeing people wear these coats called, um, I, I didn't know what it was. Right. See, I saw that tweet, actually. Like, because I'm seeing, like, all right, so, so to go along with the fact that the uh, most of the population is, like, from what I've seen in Toronto was like 70% Asian. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing a lot of like what I thought were Chinese girls were wearing this long black coat that's kind of a uh, puffy a bit and mm-hmm. has like fur around the uh, the hooded area. Yeah. And on the left side on the shoulder, there's a red circle, and it has like a country in the middle of it, and it says something on there. Right. And I'm like, what in the hell is this? Is this like, is this like a social club to where like only like Asians can wear this? <laughs> because I'm only seeing Asian girls wear it. I will tell you, Asian like Asian people have the best streetwear. It, like, it was, it was they nice. Look amazing. It was nice. So I, I was like, what, why, "Why? What's up with this?" But then it's like I started noticing the correlation between people wearing the AirPods, mm-hmm. and the AirPods is like the new 2019 way of saying, "Hey, I can afford this." Yeah, right. you know, it's just some do shit basically. So it's like I started so noticing dumb. a correlation between that and the people wearing this jacket. <laughs> right. And then I looked up to find out what the jacket was—a thousand-dollar jacket, thousand-dollar, thousand-dollar jacket. Thousand jacket. Okay. Is yeah, that? It was that kind of stunt. It's the same thing for me. It's like, well, I'm hoping that it's super warm. Yeah, I hope that it's warm. The same. With these AirPods that cost like seven hundred bucks, however much they cost, they better never fall out your ear and be amazing quality. Yeah, the sound quality better sound like I'm sitting in a fucking IMAX. Yes, for hundred and fifty fucking dollars for goddamn AirPods. For that, yeah, I'm like just to stunt. I'm like, uh. yeah. but yeah, I seen it. But the so coats are really broken nice. here. Those those coats are, it's called Canada, Canada Goose. They're thousand dollar damn jackets. They're apparently super warm, but I would have never known about that had I not been there. But yeah, no, those I feel like those are one of the things. Like you move to Canada. And someone just goes like, "Listen, I know it's like, like I know like it's like a thousand dollars, but like you'll be warm. You need to invest like, in this. You need to like yeah. get a loan because yeah. you need it. Yep. I feel like that's yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the energy there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fucking any any place where the cold can legitimately hurt my face mm. and kill me and then like make my fingers fall off. Yeah. I'm like, ah, I'm gonna not. I mean, yeah, if you, if you go outside for like 10 minutes and you're no. not properly dressed, you're going to end up like Jack Nicholson in The Shining <laughs> at the end, <laughs> you know? which is like this weird grin on your face, just frozen icicles coming from your eyes. Like, yeah, it's over man? for you. Um, so what, what did you watch anything? 
uh, yeah. Uh, really quick. Um, I seen. Um, I watched the Punisher. Uh, Punisher season two. Uh, season one was good enough. Season two is not worth recommending right. unless you just want to see the first two episodes where he beats women like he beats them down. Bam. And and it's like, th- th- is are, it like random woman or is there a context? No, the there's woman? there's context okay. to it. But it was, it's just like it, like it's the first episode, yeah. and it felt weird because it's like you understand the environment that we're in right now, and you're having the Punisher like beat up women. And I'm not just like saying like just a slap here like full on right beat that ass like, you know and i was like whoa like are, are you like kind of tone deaf but then like uh, i brought Tessa in my girlfriend and she was like no hell yeah like i fuck with this this is cool this is equality she was like if this was just some random woman off the street then you know whatever like what the fuck is this about yeah. but these are trained assassin women you oh, know yeah. So, yeah so it was like these are actually trained you know so it's like he's fighting them the same way he, he would a guy yeah so that's the only thing that wasn't even interesting, but just of note right, <laughs> that I yeah. took from the first episode. Noteworthy. Yeah, it was noteworthy, but it's not. <laughs> bes- besides that, there wasn't even anything there that I was that I can say. Go watch Punisher season two. That makes sense. Um, the Ted Bundy, we both seen that. Yes. The um the way that it's shot, there's nothing there to um to write home about as far as the way that it's filmed. It's just a documentary. Yeah, just a documentary. But um, as far as information, they give a lot of new information that wasn't like publicly available. Mm-hmm. So like I loved it for that, like giving the information, but. You're not winning any awards for from that documentary. That's at what all. I find so weird about the like even the documentary, like the setup for the documentary was like first okay, so I have I have two gripes mm-hmm. with this thing. Did every fucking true crime documentary on Netflix decide that they were gonna have the same intro? Every single um, one, yeah. Every okay. single one of them yeah. before like the, like, hey, for the next five years, any true crime documentary on Netflix, this is a song mm-hmm. and this is a variation of what you have to do. Mm-hmm. If you don't do it, we don't fucking pay your budget. Yeah. I swear to God that's what happened. Because yeah. they all fucking sound the same. Yeah. And they all have some variation of like that forensic tape <laughs> that they used to like put on like people's eyes when they were trying to censor them from the media. Oh, I could have yeah. And like they have like that fucking grease pencil scribble. Mm. Just like Ted Bundy files. <laughs> making a murder. Yeah. Fucking just stop. All right. Fucking just, we get it. We get it. It's just true let crime. it be. Yeah. Let it's it true be. crime. Just give me what you're gonna say. Mm-hmm. Don't so that annoyed the shit out of me. Because right. it's the fifth one that I see with that fucking intro. Right. I'm tired of it. And then but the, the the fucking setup for the interviews, like the 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 premise of the documentary is that we're seeing Ted Bundy talk about his murders. The murders, yeah. But, the murders that he did where he analyzed himself in the third person. Mm. Just give us that. Well, the, yeah. the, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that because even in reality, he right. didn't do it. He didn't want to tell the story. Right, like yeah. they, the, the FBI came to interview him about the murders, and he was still, what are you talking about murders? I ain't kill nobody. Right, I yeah. didn't do anything. I'm still innocent. And the um, it wasn't until three days before he was sent to the electric chair that he admitted to everything. Right. You know, so it would have been like a lot shorter, you know, for us to you know get that one day of confession type yeah. thing. But and like I like the I like the the seeing the FBI's document, like the FBI guy's like side of the story. Yeah. But it's just, it's too much. And the interview setups are annoying me. Mm. They're wide and the person takes like 5% of the frame and then you have this big ass living room. It's not shot well at all. That's how, it's just like, what the fuck? Like, I know you're trying to go like, you don't want an interview setup, but mm. hey, this is literally the one time that you need an interview, interview setup. setup. Yeah, you could, yeah. So whatever. It was okay. It was eh. I mean, as far as looking at, it's yeah. eh, but the information was all there for could me. Could have been like a I, podcast. Could have been a podcast. That's what I'm saying. A hundred percent could have been a podcast. A, if it was a podcast, it would have been way better. A million percent yeah. could have been a podcast. There was nothing there visually for me at all. Yeah. There was nothing there visually for that to be something that I needed to see with my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> visually that I needed to see with my eyes. Yep. Interesting choice of words, sir. Yep. Not redundant yeah. at all. Oddly yep. compelling. <laughs> 
and the, the um and but that's Ted Bundy. And the last thing I seen was uh, triggered with Killer Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I don't know what side of the fence he's on. We talked about a little bit about um Rod Pinkerton. I no. think that's how it was. It's, how uh, it's uh, fuck. But uh, he's the guy yeah. from um he, for Idiot Abroad. Mm-hmm. He uh, he hangs out with the uh, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant right. and um Stephen like, Stephen Pinkerton. I think that's what his name. Stephen Merchant and Stephen Pinkerton. Nah, no, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, that guy. yeah. But it's, it's Pinkerton. His last name. We, yeah. we agree. It's Pinkerton. Carl, <laughs> Carl Pinkerton. Carl Pinkerton. It's definitely Carl yeah. Pinkerton. Yeah. Yes. Carl. Yes. Love but, uh, that guy. Hell yeah. But uh, but you, he knows that um the things that he says and the, the response that people have to the way that he talks and the way things that he says. But he's not putting on a show, you know. But he's still aware of you know yeah. he's self aware enough to understand that. And I'm. I don't know if if Killer Mike is self aware enough to know that I'm laughing at him, you know, <laughs> because because this whole thing is is like edited like a comedy. It's yeah. so funny, but he's delivering it like the straight man who believes this, yeah, right. you know. So it's like I, I don't know which side of the the road he's on, but either way, this is funny content. I mean, just get yourself some Cola and Cola. <laughs> <laughs> I love that kind of content though, where you're just kind of like I don't know. Mm-hmm. Taking the piss or are you not? I can you know, do. I th- that's the thing. Okay, so this is a weird. We've talked about this mm-hmm. before. We lost the footage, but yeah. this is a weird transition to that because I also don't know anymore what satire and what someone actually thinks on the internet. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to tell. Yeah, we were talking about Rouge V, right. which is the guy that recently came. Like he he's been a pickup artist. Mm-hmm. He's rapey and he said like deplorable things about women. Yeah. So I really don't want to give him a platform. Okay. But. He released this video on Twitter where he's talking about how being obsessed with the female butt oh. is a gateway to homosexual activity. Mm. That was a conversation that we had. And I can't tell if he's taking the piss anymore or if he just like if he's like selling himself as that guy yeah. or if he actually believes that looking at women's butts makes you gay. What's bad about it is I, I came across this video too, never mm-hmm. heard of the guy before and listening to it like he seemed genuine, like That's he pretty, believed that. Yeah. <laughs> it's what ridiculous. the fuck? What the fuck is wrong with like men? Yeah. Like we've had a whole movement yeah. where men have just become more and more shitty. Yeah. To people seem. around them. Mm. And, and we were talking about like, also like the Gillette commercial and then people having that reaction and being upset and not all men. Yeah. And like, just if you get offended at me saying that men has gotten progressively shittier, mm. you're the fucking problem. Most likely, yeah. You're the fucking problem. Yeah. I just, Roosh V, what the fuck? Mm. Uh, literally, we've gotten to a point where toxic masculinity is so fragile mm. that looking at women's butts makes you gay. So, wow. um, just so you know, the mm. next time you check out a butt, gay. All right. Gay. Okay. Just so you know. Okay. Um, so fucking, I don't, I, I, I don't <laughs> okay. know what's real anymore. Yeah. I don't know what is real anymore, yeah. and I hate it. I want to know, but I can't. I can't. These people are idiots. I don't know what's. This happening. is like a simulation. Like I don't believe this isn't real <laughs> anymore. We're in the shitty matrix. Is yeah. what's happening. Like yeah. we can't dodge bullets. Or we can't stop them in midair. No. We just have to take shitty men telling us things through social media. Yeah. That's the fucking simulation. Such is life now. <laughs> uh, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. Anyway. You see anything? Uh, Evil Dead. Oh, how, I saw what Evil Dead. What you think about it? Um, I thought it was pretty good. Like, uh, it's been a cult classic for ages. Yeah. And it's Sam Raimi, who's one of my like he directed my favorite Spider-Man movies. Okay. Um, so it was interesting to see what he started with because it's definitely like a cabin in the woods mm. horror horror comedy setup. Like, yeah. he takes himself seriously enough to like have us invested in what's happening to the characters. Okay. But it's definitely supposed to be funny. Like, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. And uh, I just, I love this filmmaking style. Like, he's 
It's very much a B-horror movie. Mm. There's nothing particularly amazing to look in the way of cinematography mm. or anything like that. But it's got some shots that you can tell that those shots became influential shots later on. Yeah. Um, he's got that famous uh, shot of the camera running low into the ground, like if it was a monster. Okay, yeah. Going into the cabin or where the people are. We talked about that a bit with um, the last movie that we covered. Raising Arizona. Yeah, yeah, Raising yeah. Arizona. Yeah, sure did, yeah. So that same shot, Sam Raimi is the one that essentially pioneered that shot. Okay. And uh, he he does it. He uses it really well for like horror. And, nice. Um, so that shot came in there. There's a couple of shots that are just like really interesting, like interestingly composed wides mm. where like two things are happening in the same image. Yeah. And one of them is like a normal thing, and the other one's like a scary thing that's happening. Okay. And so that juxtaposition is like interesting. Yeah. For horror, and yeah. like we can see it in like movies like Hereditary, yeah. even Love um, that. where the shots are really wide, and you can see two environments at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a lot of fun watching it. It's definitely campy. It's definitely like way more like fun than it is scary. Okay. But there's a couple of moments when you go like, oh fuck, that was genuinely, genuinely scary. Okay. Um, so shout out to Evil Dead with Sam Raimi. Nice. Um, really good. And then I've been watching a lot of Steven Universe. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, Tiana. Tiana. Yeah. Yeah. She put me on that. Uh, not too much. Well, fucking. A couple years ago. Yeah. Fucking love it. Like I, I've been hearing all over the internet like why it sucks as a show, and then I just realized that it's all like butthurt you know, people okay. that are upset with people that want social justice, I guess. Okay. Because yeah. it's just... It's, it's a really good cartoon. Yeah, I guess it's emblematic of that because mm. it's so wholesome and teaches so, such good things. Okay. Fucking great show. I think it's a great show. Yeah. I love it. And yeah. I've been, I'm like 30 episodes in. Nice. And I'm, I sat, I said that I got Hulu without ads just so I could watch because every episode is like 10 minutes. No, I refuse. I refuse yeah. Hulu without ads. I used I to. refuse Hulu in, all the way. <laughs> All the way, Hulu, I rebuke you. All the way, I will. I don't mess with you, Hulu, and, and this is why. This is why I don't mess the with you. The power of Christ compels me. <laughs> you, you, you know why? All right, so, so Hulu was like, all right, you know, we we, we ain't that expensive. You know, mm-hmm. we we a cheaper alternative to Netflix, and we got a whole bunch of uh, nice content, and we're creating our own content too. You know, so you just go in and pay us this little bit of money right here. Yeah. You got to deal with some ads, you know, a few ads here and there, but don't worry about that. But if you want to pay us a little bit more money, then you ain't got to deal with ads. You can right. be just like Netflix. You know, we making new content too. You see that that uh, that fire thing? We're doing one too. Just like Netflix, you just give us a little more money and no ads. So I'm like, all right, I give you that money, and, I, and we, we can. Uh, this relationship can work just like Netflix. And you know what Hulu does? They're still going to give you those damn ads, even when you pay for no ads. Some shows still have ads, no matter really? what. Yes, I have yes. not encountered that yet, uh, man. I'm, I'm telling you, there's the shows. So I was, there was a number of shows that I was watching on uh, ABC. Was it The Good Place? I think mm-hmm. was one of them. Shows that are on network television. I was still getting ads after paying for it. And I looked on the internet, and it's not just like a me thing. It's a right. reality thing. Like so, it's a, yeah. It's, like it's not a me thing. It's yes. a reality. Like, like, thing. like Hulu was just like directly targeting me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that guy. Fuck him. Yeah. He gets ads. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was like after, after that I, I I got rid of Hulu altogether, and I'm I'm angry about it. Okay, yeah, that, that's understandable. The moment yeah. that happens to me, I'll be pissed about yeah. it. I guarantee you. <laughs> yes. Just feel like, what the fuck? Anyway, yeah. Steven Universe, it's great. Nice. Uh, Evil Dead, uh, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Okay. It's like, it's become such a huge part of culture, mm. like, and especially in horror comedy, yeah. that it's, it's fucking, it's, it's a brilliant movie to learn from. Okay. And uh, that's all I got, honestly. Yeah. How about you? Anything else? Uh, no, I think that's it. Yeah. But, so we're going to cut, and then we're going to talk about First Reformed. Um, with Ethan Hawke. Yes, yes. All right, that. And welcome back. 
Chris is drinking some water. Oh, we're good. Yeah. Welcome back. We're talking about First Reformed. All right. Uh, First Reformed, rated R, came out. It says 2017, but it was a 2018 release, really. Yeah, it's well, a, it was in 2017's film festival. Yeah. Oh, yeah. film festival. Okay, yeah. But um, 2017 released, rated R, it's a drama mystery with a runtime of one hour and 53 minutes. Uh, the rundown is, the pastor of a small church in upstate New York spirals out of control after a soul-shaking encounter with an unstable environmental activist and his pregnant wife. Uh, the writer-director is Paul Schrader. Um, this guy, he actually wrote um, two movies, that were Raging Bull and Taxi Driver. Yeah. He, I was like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't know that before him. But, um, I, didn't it, know, I didn't know it beforehand either. It makes about, sense. Yeah. Uh, it stars Ethan Hawke, Amanda Seyfried, and Cedric the, Cedric the Entertainer. This is the first serious movie I've seen Cedric the Entertainer in. I didn't realize it was Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's a rundown on that. Fuck yeah. Uh, I, I think this movie is absolutely fascinating. It's mm. one of the few... Like, A24 has always put out amazing content. Yeah. I don't think I've seen a bad A24 movie. I haven't seen a bad one. Yeah, no. I've seen one that maybe I didn't like as much, but mm. like I haven't seen a bad Me one. Me neither. They're, the curator for what stories get made on that platform is mm. fucking amazing. Yeah. And uh, this movie had me like paying attention from frame one to the ending of the movie mm. in terms of like just like aesthetically gorgeous. Like it was a, it was gorgeous looking. Okay. It was gorgeously sound designed. Yeah. It like the performances were like gorgeously somber. Like everything about this movie for me struck me as absolutely gorgeous to look at. Hey. And it reminded me of, um, we've seen a ghost story. Yep. It reminded me of David Lowry, that style, mm. um, because it's so quiet and wide and yeah. sort of not uncinematic in that it doesn't look like a movie, but uncinematic in that it strays away from the conventions of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like, it was just like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, it was just good to sit down and watch this movie. It felt good. There was something in there and... Um because I, I was having a hard time with uh, the static shots. It's just, you know, I was having a hard time. It's just like how you said, it's not uncinematic, you know, because it was it was a choice, you right. know. And like I so said, the wads are, are, are great and it's, very, and it's beautiful. But um, the director, he has, um, it's, it's very purposeful, but he'll put the camera somewhere and he'll sit there and oh, yeah. walk away, have a cup of coffee, and then come back and see what happened, <laughs> you know. That's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but it's like, but, w- but with that, it's like, you, like you said, you have to sit there and pay attention, you know, and see what's really happening. One of my, uh, my favorite, uh, scenes favorite shots is when um, Ethan Hawke is walking through the uh, the snowy woods mm-hmm. and the camera is just sat down there and just what, what is he what is he doing like forty five seconds of just walking and silence and yep. just all you hear is just the the steps through the snow and I'm and and at this point we're like forty five minutes into the movie yeah. and I'm still like a bit bored and don't know what this movie is or what it's trying to do or anything. Right. And then it's just like, and like I said, and the, like I said, the camera's not moving. So that is kind of, I don't want to say make it makes it stale or just makes you try harder as a viewer. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and I'm, I'm still not understanding. And then he takes you to a body that the guy has blown his head off. One of the just most graphic, you know, shots or the, the most graphic scene in the entire movie. Yep. And the way that it is set up is just so unassuming. You know, and from that moment on, I was just like, oh, wow. All right. I, I, you're, you're doing something here. You're doing something. I, I hate that as, you know, a self-proclaimed like film critic yeah. that it took a damn person with his head blown off for me to understand that you were doing something for, you to, be like, oh, <laughs> for me to lock in. <laughs> yeah, This guy has a purpose. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but that's that's where I locked in for me was mm-hmm. the, uh, at that moment. Yeah. I uh, 
I looked at this movie. So, like, from the very beginning of this movie, when we see this, like, stark opening shot, like, low-angle shot mm. of the church, I knew that it was, like... And, like, also open, opens up with the 4 by 3 ratio, mm. uh, which is also, like, a thing that we see in a ghost story. Yes. But I, 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 been, I looked up the movie a little bit because I liked it a lot. And that choice was made because he wanted to reference the kind of cinema that would be made in like by Ingmar Ingma, Bergman, Ingmar Bergman. Yeah. and uh there was another there was another story that was specifically about a priest yep. I that, yeah so like i read all those things and i was like he's he's so clearly pulling elements from every one of those stories mm-hmm. that a lot of people have known a lot of people have admired yeah. and he even said that the like as a filmmaker the secret isn't to like not steal and come up with original thoughts, mm. but to steal strategically from the people that you admire. Yeah. And I absolutely love that because yeah. knowing that the plot is essentially a remix of a previous film, yeah. which I wish I, I think it's Winter Nights. It's Winter something. Yes, yeah, like yeah, some, yeah. I think I'm pretty sure it's Winter Nights, but in, I don't remember. In that one, the um, instead of there being like an environmental threat, there is a nuclear bomb you know, that's right. threatening the world in that one. Yeah. And then, and not only that, but also the elements of the priest being the one that uh, denies, denies Jesus. Je- yep. And then the other guy kills himself as a result. Mm-hmm. And this one, it's kind of remix where like the guy killing himself is what makes the priest, priest. denounce mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting just concept in general. Um, but what I really, really, really fancied about that concept and those cinematic references mm. is that everything that this director put on camera mm. had a choice behind it to communicate something specific. Yeah. And so like by replacing the nuclear bomb with a environmental threat, mm. not only do you modernize the story, but mm. you also give us a set of different anxieties. Yeah. We're no longer anxious about nuclear threat, mm. but we are anxious about running out of an earth. Yeah. And it's a very just modern problem mm. that creates modern crises of fate mm-hmm. and creates just desperation. Like it's a big word that comes up in the film. Yeah. And I love, I love that choice. It really, really fucking struck me. As a as a flash of genius, yeah. to not only make the main character a priest that has a crisis of faith and is alcoholic and is spiraling down psychologically, mm-hmm. but make the spiral happen because the world seems to be such an unending, polluted place. Oh yes, it's genius! It's fucking genius, man. There, there's a couple of parallels that I want to go into. Um, so, like the the pollution of the earth and. Um, all right, so let's go into a line where um, they're, they're having dinner or having lunch or brunch or whatever. When the guy orders a coffee and the apple pie, mm-hmm. and um, basically he's, he's saying, well, well, God forgive us for what we're doing to the environment. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get very political in it, and he's like, let's just leave politics out of it. You do your job. You know, you talk to the people. And um, they, they get to the bottom of what's going on with uh, with the reverend, and he was like, hey, take a look at your own life before you criticize others. You know, it's, it's one, one moment there, and... I want I want to look at what what his life is at that moment, and just some of the the visuals that that they give us is him him polluting his body with the, the alcohol, right. you know, and what we're doing to the earth with all the number of different things that we're doing, and him not realizing this um, this analogy or this parallel between the two, and the director was showing us, you know, ever so slightly with it. Um, once when he pours uh, the Pepto Bismol mm-hmm. inside of his liquor, just like kind of like a um, with the earth, if we're just like putting a bandaid on something or right. trying to p- make a quick fix on something that is so toxic that there's no way it can be fixed in this way. Right, just you cover know. up the symptoms. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Man. yeah. And it's it's probably visually the my favorite, the best looking 
thing in this movie for me when it's, you just, it just sits there for like 30 seconds as the Pepto Bismol. It's a long shot. Just, just like disperses through the liquor. Yeah, it's a long shot. I, I love that. And just seeing what, what's going to be happening to his body with that going into him, mm-hmm. you know, or um, uh, what would be another one? Oh, where uh, he's talking about the, uh, he's talking to the guy that uh, that killed himself mm-hmm. and he's, he's saying about how he wants to, he want to have an abortion. Doesn't want to bring a child into this world right. because he knows how terrible of a place this is. Mm-hmm. And this is like stuff that we've talked about before. Yeah. It's just like about like just not having the hope that the world would get better. And why we want to subject another being into this, right? You know. But um, and that's a lot of what the movie is about for me. And that's there's um this is what the reverend says that wisdom is holding two contradictory truths in your mind simultaneously: hope and despair. A life without despair is a life without hope. Holding these two ideas in our head is life itself, you know. And and that's really what the movie was for me is mm-hmm. that um, him, the uh, the guy that's killing himself and doesn't want to bring a child into the world because there is no hope at all. Right. And then you have his wife who is who understands that she sees that her husband has died, everything that's going on around her, mm-hmm. and she still is willing to have this baby yeah. and still is willing to live and choose life even while being confronted with the worst of the worst. Right. Which is not, who is not coincidentally named Mary. Mary. Mm-hmm. You know, which, that, and that's also like, that's another element of the film that I quite love. I'm mm-hmm. not a particularly religious not a, man. I'm not at all. Um, but the, sort of the allusions to the fact that we have um, Ethan Hawke's character, Ernest, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Ernst, um, who is having a crisis of faith and he represents sort of, I th- I, for me, he represents like what humanity is as a whole, mm. uh, in, in my opinion. Okay. Or, like they're polluting the environment, polluting the, polluting his own body with the liquor and yep. whatever. He represents that bleakness. Yeah. And sort of like Michael was the one that triggered that in him. Mm. But after Michael has gone out of the picture, he starts to embody his ideas and he starts to sort of become the person that Michael was. Yeah. Was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like the idea of having that main character be this bleak depressed alcoholic mm-hmm. um person that's tired with the apathy mm-hmm. and the uninvolvement of humanity yeah. and then having um someone named mary who's pregnant yeah. who is about to bring a child into the same world that this man is denouncing mm-hmm. and then at the end of the movie when they sort of make out passionately right before he was supposed to kill himself yeah. um then it's just it's like for me it symbolizes the idea that this is the person that brings back life into humanity. And mm. the fact that she was named Mary would imply that the son would be like a Jesus figure into yeah. Ethan Hawke's life. Cause he had lost a kid and did yeah. whatever. I mean, he found, he found hope in the middle of despair. Like he right. was at his worst moment, the, the most desperate. And then she walks in out of, seemingly out of nowhere, yeah. you know, because he's, he's on this whole thing to where he straps the vest on and mm-hmm. he's ready to, was he going to walk in there and, and just kill everyone? Yeah. And so, he told her not to show up. Yeah, he did. So I feel like there's a good time to like just run the plot of the yeah. other movie in general. So yeah. we have Ethan Hawke, who's a priest. Yeah. He's clearly ill yeah. of something, yeah. but refuses to go to the doctor. He's an alcoholic, sort of, in just a self-destructive pattern. Mm-hmm. And then this this congregant, con- like congregation the congregation goer, mm-hmm. uh, on a small church, goes to him and says, "Hey, can you talk to my husband? Yeah. He's being weird about this environmental agency thing." Yeah. So Ethan Hawke goes, talks to the husband. And they have like a really heart to heart about faith and what it is to bring a kid into this world and whatever. Yeah. And then, but Ethan Hawke is also keeping a journal since the beginning of the film. And so, which provides us a really good setup to yeah. hearing information get delivered because mm-hmm. we can just jump through time yep. with a click and clever narration of Ethan Hawke 
So in the middle of that conversation, Ethan Hawks talks to him about like how exhilarating it was to talk about faith that mm. way and to talk about questioning faith and yeah. being a person. Oh, yeah. yep. And so they want to continue that meeting. Yeah. He felt exhilaration talking to Michael, yeah. um, who was this guy that was obsessed with an environmental um, state of the world. Mm. And so his wife calls him and she finds out that there was a suicide vest with explosives in the garage. Yeah. And she calls Ethan Hawke's character to go pick it up and see what to do. He removes it, mm. presumably... To throw it away or just get rid of it. Don't call the police. Right. Don't do anything. I'm just going to get rid of this and I'll talk to him tomorrow. <laughs> just Yeah, right. Mm. But as it would happen, presume the guy shows up and he goes like, oh, when there was my suicide vest. Mm. Can't really ask your wife where your suicide vest no, is. No. So he cancels the meeting, tells Ethan Hawks to meet in another place, mm. kills himself so that Ethan Hawke discovers the body. Yeah. And, and so that's really the catalyzing trigger of the movie because mm. that's what cements Michael's fucked up ideology on Ethan Hawke. Yep. And then Ethan Hawke starts having a deeper crisis of faith mm. and he becomes spiraling down oh, yeah. until the moment where he puts on the suicide vest himself on the 250th anniversary of a church, mm-hmm. which is being run by a mega church mm-hmm. who's being bought off by... Uh, environmental do-no-gooders? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. being by a corporation that very clearly doesn't care about the environment yep. and is part of the problem that Michael believed in. Yep. So the original environmental problem becomes c- confused with this ethical and moral dilemma of, like, will God forgive us mm. for fucking up so badly, essentially? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and that that's what triggers a spiraling down and gets to the point where he puts on the suicide vest, but then he sees Mary in the church, mm-hmm. uh, when she t- which he told her not to come, yeah. And then he can kill himself with the suicide because his intention was to walk into the congregation, pull the trigger yep. on the vest, and then send a message that way. Yeah. But the moment he saw Mary, he couldn't do, couldn't it. do it. Um, and I guess his repentance, he wrapped barbed wire around himself yeah. and started having the psychotic episode. Yeah. And then Mary walks in. We have that moment where they start making out passionately, mm. and the fucking movie ends. <laughs> yeah, I, I had I had an issue with the ending until I just had to respect the movie as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was I was wanting some kind of payoff. Because I was like, what what's going to happen here? Is she going to walk in and they're hugging and it cuts to black? Like, does that mean that the he still had the bomb on it and went off? And I'm like, no, it's just like he was in despair and she saved him. You right, know, that's, yeah. that was it. Yeah. Naturally, it was that simple, but it was also that confusing as well yeah, for an yeah, ending. Yeah. Um, I I think that this movie is brilliantly written for mm. the kind of movie that it is. Because it is a movie, at the end of the day, it's a movie about faith, but mm. it's not a faith-based movie. No. It's stylistically spiritual and, mm. stylistic, and stylistically faith-based. Yeah. Where like the, the somberness, the lack of music, the long, winding cinematography... Mm. The fact that the camera doesn't move, the fact that we the close-ups that we get are close-ups that stay as close-ups for very long. Characters talk to each other, but they don't cut between each other nearly as much. No. Like maybe like every three lines we get a cut. Yeah. And all of that just like deliver, fills the movie with this somberness and this weight yeah. where every conversation feels like a conversation that Ethan Hawke would be having with these characters. Yeah. And that is amazing in terms of tonality. As far as tonality, like when just giving me a a flip on my head of I didn't know that this was happening, just to kind of jar you. Mm -hmm. The first time was with the uh, his head being blown off in the middle of the snow and all the red over the blood. The second time was when um, Mary and uh, Ernst they're they're laying on each other with their hands connected and they're just 
kind of meditating a bit and they just completely zone away from the world and they begin kind of floating above the world and just seeing different, well, in, in his mind, right. he's seeing the world in so many different ways and then seeing it, how polluted it is and terrible it is. And then he comes back to reality shortly after. But it's just how you take uh, the movie and the tone of the movie up until that point. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like, okay, so yet again, anything can happen. And I'm not exactly sure where, where the parameters of this world ex right. you know, lie. And we're also dealing with an unreliable narrator, yes. which is something that this guy does quite frequently with taxi driver i don't i haven't seen raging bulls that's so really good yeah. it's a thing but taxi driver we have the same thing it's yeah. a dude keeping a journal and yeah. he's narrating the sequences of the movie yeah so like at, at that point that we go like are we truly inside the head of ethan hawk's character mm -hmm. and we're seeing the world through his perception entirely mm. and is reality really what it is mm. or are we seeing an objective version of reality where ethan hawk is just participating in yeah and I, I don't quite know, yeah. but I'm, uh, I like to think that it is an objective reality that we see Ethan Hawke participate in mm. and not just in his head yeah. about it. There was, there's something to be said, I think, about the hypocrisy of Ernst and with mm -hmm. that line where, where he was saying, because um, I, I, didn't, I didn't like when the, uh, the guy told him at first um, basically to check yourself before you start pointing out other stuff. Right. And I've always hated that, just even in growing up. It's, it's just a deflection of the problem. Right. It was like, I don't want to address what you're talking about, so you go fix that and come back to me. Yeah. And, but we're, I don't, we're just not going to talk about the thing. You know? right. so, but um, but the, hop, the hypocrisy is what, what I'm trying to say is that you have Ethan Hawke who is saying can god forgive us for what we're doing to the internet i mean for to the environment i'm sorry <laughs> i mean the, uh, the internet too. but um at the same time for what he's doing can god forgive ethan hawk for what he's doing to himself right you know it's, it's it's so hypocritical to look at the how these companies that he's trying to fight against are destroying the earth while he's simultaneously destroying himself and then pointing fingers at everyone else right you know so it's like i i love that you know, bit of hypocrisy because it's like he's trying to fix something and destroy it at the same time. At the same time, yep. I also, I also had a thing that I really enjoyed with Ethan Hawke's, also the hypocrisy, I think. Mm -hmm. He's tired, like, this is a story about a man that was so tired with the apathy around them and the hypocrisy around them yeah. that he elected to take action himself. And this is actually how a lot of these, like, mass murders are inspired mm -hmm. is by someone that takes an ideology and gets so involved in it and yeah. gets tired of people not believing it yeah. that he decides to act out and send a message. Yeah. That's exactly what happened with Ethan Hawke's character. The only thing that stopped him was uh, Mary. Um, but I like that decline of mental health. Mm -hmm. That was so skillfully done. Yeah. There wasn't really any moment where you went, oh, this motherfucker like crazy, crazy. Yeah, huh, until he end. put on the vest. Yep. And, and, and she was like, you could tell that he was declining, mm -hmm. but... In another movie, he would have put on the vest in the second act and fucking blown up by the third act. Yeah. And then would have just had to deal with the consequence. But yeah. in this movie, it's really about the decline of a man mm. that put on a suicide vest for five minutes. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And like how he got to that point where he considered even doing that. Yeah. And, and I think that that is just so much more powerful and impactful mm. that he, if he had, had actually activated the suicide vest in the congregation what there was there was something with the drano I, I was looking for the message that he was trying to, to do with that because it appeared earlier when he was trying to uh, unclog the toilet mm -hmm. and like that being the fix you know the solution for that right and then later he decides that that liquor isn't the solution and then he 
pours that out, he throws it on the ground, and we right. get a shot of that, you know, all spilled out. And then he pours the Drano into the glass, and that's just the wildest looking thing, you know, that just seeing wild. Drano inside of a glass to be drinking. But um, just seeing that, it's like, what is he trying to say with that? Like, he believes that this is the fix for him, the same way that it was for the toilet, like, that death is the only fix of I th- it, maybe? I, th- I think so. I think yeah. he's past the point, because be- before that, he was about to kill himself at the congregation. Could kill everyone else, yeah. And kill yeah. everyone else yeah. with him. But then when he saw Mary there, he realized, I think, in my opinion, he realized that they don't deserve to die. Mm. He's the one that deserves to die. Mm. So then it was a suicide attempt. Mm. And then Mary stopped him yeah. when she walked into the house. I think it's I, that's the okay. route that I'm going with. Yeah, I don't think it's that. any more significant than that. Okay. Um, it was a suicide attempt after breaking down, yeah. essentially. Um, and after putting on the wire which was like a really surreal scene too yeah it was like he he kept comparing himself well not comparing himself outwardly but um to jesus Mm -hmm. and um cedric entertainer he said something to him was like you're spending all of your time in the garden which is supposed to be like symbolic of um just the how how jesus did more than one thing he didn't Mm -hmm. just sit there and just think about all the terrible things that were going on in the world and going over and over in his mind he was multifaceted he was helping people like i said he was up on the mountain doing multiple things and he's saying that um that our main character ethan is only sitting in the garden and thinking about how terrible everything is and and things like that he was like you got to get out of that and um when he when when he's talking to michael the guy that blew his head off michael's like do you believe in martyrdom do you a reverend who's like i'm not sure i know what you mean he's like the saints of god the early christians who wouldn't renounce their faith the missionaries who were attacked in the fields of the lord do you believe they died for a purpose he was like i do he was like well activists are killed trying to, to, to protect the environment every day mm-hmm. you know so it's like that was a odd thing to me with right. um like just standing up for something that you believe in and your faith and are you forgiven for dying for something that you believe is just? Right. So in that way, he, he set up early on the parallel between Michael and the Reverend yeah. right there at that, you know, that meeting. And for me, that was a moment that the spiritual part of the film and the, the environmental part of the film started becoming the same message. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I fucking love that scene. Yep. Like that moment, because it, it, you can tell that it hits, it hits uh, Ernst's Ernst, character yeah. really hard. Yeah. And uh, especially because after that whole conversation is kind of when the narration starts and we just skip over the rest of that scene. Yeah. And and that's also like another thing that I really like about the film mm-hmm. is that the delivery of information is done so skillfully, like smooth. Yeah. Like we get what we need out of a conversation and if we need to skip over it, we get this transitional gradient from Ernst writing in his journal and then we see him at night and then we're ready for the next mm, day. Yeah. So like nothing ever feels like out of place. It feels like very well orchestrated in the edit. Yeah. And it's just it's just delightful. And like Ethan Hawke's performance was like really gruff and hard and kind of like he had this raspy voice the entire time yeah. and coughing and doing all of that shit, but it was all so somber and like with such a like a like a pinpoint focus on the tonality that he wanted those performances to land. Yeah. That I was just like, fuck, man. Like, that's amazing directing. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. It's fucking fantastic. There was there was something I, I really liked about um the, this conversation here. Mm-hmm. It was about, about having the kid or or aborting the kid. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, I, I can promise you that whatever despair you feel about bringing a child into the world cannot equal the despair of taking a child from it. Right. You know, it's just like as as terrible as you feel like the world is it, and, and the reason why I'm, I'm harping on this so much is because he is speaking from a place of truth from himself because right. he believes that he caused his child, you know, to be taken from the world himself. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that 
you it, you can't imagine how terrible of a feeling this is. You know, I'm me and my wife could no longer be together, but after losing a child, we couldn't stay together. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that that irredeemable moment in the movie to where you this is the moment, the crazy crazy moment for me, Man. where I knew that it was he it was too He's late gone. for him. Was um and all and surprisingly enough, the movie ends with a hopeful, upbeat tone, which yeah, was surprising, you know. But um, he was irredeemable, and I knew it was just about to go all downhill for him when he's talking to the choir director. That was that's his um, his, his ex wife, and then he's just like, was I that have ex wife? I believe that's the lady he had a child with. Okay. Yeah, and she was like trying to help him and everything. Mm-hmm. But she's like, "You, you cause me disdain. I, I despise you. I like despise he, everything you bring out of me." Yes, it's yeah. like it was like one of the worst things. Like not a curse word said at, at all. No, nope. and it just cut her like a knife through hot butter. A knife through hot butter. I think it's I the mean, other way around. It would <laughs> still work. <Just> <laughs> like a hot knife through cold butter. I think. <laughs> Yeah, it just ripped right through her, and I'm like, "Whoa, he's done. He's over after that." But well, um, that that was the moment of the film that not when I thought he was crazy, crazy. That was the moment when I said, "Oh, this is a character that stopped lying to himself." Mm. That was that was that was what I got out of that moment. Okay, this is a character that has now stopped embracing every lie that everybody told him, Mm. and is now just living his truth. His truth, but his truth was crazy, crazy. But his yeah, but his truth was part of the decline. Mm. that's true but like for me that was like that was a character shift okay no, it wasn't the yeah. crazy crazy mm. moment for me that was just like oh he's done with everyone's bullshit mm. he's like for me that, that like after that scene it could have been like he's just either gonna walk away or he's just gonna do some crazy shit that yeah. was my two branches I, like, I, I, I thought it was just crazy shit after that because <laughs> i'm like whoa you because he said it in the church oh, yeah. right there to her i was like whoa and and up until that moment like you're saying the mm-hmm. the movie is very quiet he speaks in a very quiet tone yeah. he's he hasn't got aggressively you know vocal with anybody right and then he served her like that i was like whoa yeah that was rough that, that was, was rough. so over the top but yeah it was that was that was a, a huge moment yeah and still it was just like that beautifully restricted perspective camera wise Mm -hmm. and performance wise and even when he said it he didn't even say it loudly he just just... got open closed and it's just like i fucking despise you Mm -hmm. it's just like god damn yeah it's rough it's rough yeah that was tough um i i think this film has an amazing emotional delivery Mm -hmm. and i think that the four by three ratio helps it stand out visually yeah um because how do you say it the shots are gorgeous in their own right, but the fact that it's not conventional and because of the 4 by 3 ratio, it harkens back to those old days of cinema. Mm-hmm. It's, it becomes more visually endearing and a little bit more mesmerizing because yeah. the format is so unlike what you're used to. And I think the juxtaposition of that 4 by 3 ratio that we associate with antiquity mm-hmm. and then the crisp, amazing high definition of the images yeah. are just inherently gorgeous in their own right. Yeah. And then, but not having that and having like really amazing composition mm. and really purposeful character interactions mm. and really purposeful close-ups and wides that just linger for way too long. It leaves you feeling like not only did you watch a film, mm. but it felt like you participated yes. in a film. Yeah. And not a lot of directors can do that and still get a really good message out. Mm. Uh, you know, it usually gets confused and muddled, yeah. but... I didn't get that with with First Reformed. I I really understood. I think what the movie was trying to say. Yeah, the the only knock I could say, I guess, is like I didn't feel like the the outward circumstances 
were enough to drive him to where he to that moment so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, but they, they were saying they were they, they the, the ticking clock for us was the um, the 250th anniversary of the church right. thing. So um, it's like, oh yeah, you getting ready for that? We're eight weeks out. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like so the spiral is happening within those two months. So it's it's I don't know. They gave you some. You, you had some things. You have the the death of his child, who we see has been dealing with that before the movie started. Right. We have the death of a man who he count he's counseling a man, mm-hmm. and then he kills himself directly after counsel. Right. You know, so it ha- has that. I mean, so he, he's dealing with a few things. It's just the spiral. It's just I don't know if there was enough that happened to him to justify the spiral of a reverend yeah. to go to the point of being re- able, being ready to blow up a church and right. its congregation. But I still like how it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like I'm not knocking it too much, but it just seemed a, l- a little. It seemed like it happened a little quickly. Yeah, that's true. But I think also that just for that point, we are seeing this guy being an alcoholic from the very beginning and just being a priest because he has to. Mm. He doesn't necessarily want to be a priest. And the reason I say that is because every time that he's talking about being a priest, Mm. he's not like, I chose to be this. It was like someone gave me the position. Someone gave me the opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity. He never went out and was a priest. Mm. People just made him a priest. (laughs) And uh, he compared himself to this other priest from ancient times thomas something yeah um that wrote books and that's what he was trying to do i guess with the journal as well sort of have something like that guy out so this is not a guy that wanted to be a priest this is Mm. a guy that wanted to sit around and think about the human condition after dealing with his own trauma Mm. uh so i feel like that decline makes sense when you factor in the fact that he was already declining anyway at the beginning of the movie yeah it was just like extenuating, like extreme circumstances yeah. accelerated that decline into action. But this is a man that's tired of hypocrisy, mm. has tired of the apathy, yeah. has tired of being used for people's selfish purposes. Like mm. you're a priest, people are going to come to you so that you can give them money yeah. by prayer. He's tired of that. He's tired of like the, the mega church environment. He's tired of all of that. Mm. When you combine all of that with the information that happens in the movie that we're watching, mm. I feel like the spiral is not, it's like, it's not more justified, but it makes perfect sense the way that it did. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. I can yeah. see what you're saying. Especially with, like I said, with the alcoholism starting beforehand, but yeah. Right. All right. Um, I, I fucking love this movie. I was just like, Jonathan talked about it and I was just yeah. like, sure, whatever, Jonathan. Yeah. Um, I'll watch the movie when I get to it. It mm-hmm. was kind of my attitude because I was kind of angry at 2018. Okay. Uh, but after watching this movie, I totally like regret not watching it when it no, came it's out. It's a good movie. It's a fucking phenomenal little film. Yeah. Um, you have anything else to say about it? Um, no. I mean, it's, it's a good watch. Yeah. It's a good watch. Hell yeah. Yeah. What would you rate it? Um, an eight, eight out of ten. I'm gonna give it an eight too. Yeah. I think uh, technicality is amazing. Mm-hmm. Dialogue's amazing. It is. Um, but it is a very like cinem- cinematography, dialogue, performance. Everything else is everything is really really fucking good. It is. Um, but it's not a conventional narrative. Mm-mm. You'll definitely, there are definitely times where you will want to look at your phone yeah. um, because it's slow yes. and it's very deliberately slow very much, and painfully. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, you good? Uh, but it's, it's, it's one of those watches that you like, you can watch once a year maybe you could. and then like learn something about the yeah. cinematography on it. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was fucking great. So yeah, eight out of 10 for me. Same. But, um, well, that's it for First Reformed. Hey. We're going to cut and then we're going to talk about television and movie premieres. Hey.
welcome back. Television and movie premieres. All right. Uh, this week in television and movie premieres for Tuesday, January the 29th through Monday, February the 4th. Uh, the first one's going to be Friday, February the 1st. It is the ABC Murders. What the fuck is that? It's oh, a, uh, I, know, I know. This is a, this is a, I think, South African guy uh, that went around and he killed. They call him the ABC Murderer because he killed in... He killed in a place, he started in a place that started with A, moved to another place that started with B, and then ended his murder spree in a place that started with C. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, um, there is something going on about, an, there's an African um, killer thing that's, that has um, John Goodman in it, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if this one's in it. But it's the ABC Murders, yeah. it stars uh, John Malkovich, and um, it'll be coming out on Amazon Prime Video this Friday. Okay, interesting. I might be, it might not be the same thing that I'm thinking of, mm. but there was a murderer. That works called the ABC murder. I mean, I'm, I mean, how many ABC murderers are there? You know, you'd be surprised, man. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's uh, that's Friday, uh, February the first. The ABC murderers. Uh, the next one is Russian Doll. It's a comedy drama on Netflix. Natasha Leone stars as the guest of a horror at a never-ending party. Well, technically, it does with her death only for it to restart again each time with her unharmed. And this eight-episode comedy that she created with Amy Poehler. I I like I like Groundhog Day. Yeah. Maybe you should have stayed at Groundhog Day. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's a premise that that's done over and over. Yeah. Um, I, the, I, I I like that Natasha Leone is in it, and I didn't know Amy uh, Poehler was producing it. I, so I don't know who Natasha Leone is. I couldn't tell you what she was in. I recognize yeah. the name, and I there's something in my brain that says she's she's fucks with her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I can I can give you on that. But uh, Russian Doll, that's a comedy drama on Netflix on Friday, February the 1st. Uh, the next thing is going to be Sunday, February the 3rd, Puppy Bowl. It's on Animal Planet at 3 p.m. Puppy Bowl. I, they're cute puppies hitting a ball. Yes. Puppy Bowl. I fuck with puppy puppies. Puppy Bowl. Yes. Uh, directly after that, that Sunday, February the 3rd, the Super Bowl at uh, 7 p.m. Uh, this is going to be professional athletes. They compete in an all-human version of the, the, puppy, the puppy Bowl. bowl. Yeah. Not as interesting as the Puppy Bowl. No. Inherently. But the commercials <laughs> are pretty good, I hear. I guess so. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's, why, that's why I hate the Puppy Bowl. Because it precedes the Super Bowl. Mm. And I know that if I just want to watch cute puppies do some shit... Mm. Then I'm I'm gonna have to sit in a room with annoying football people. You don't have to. It's the different time zone. This, this 3 p.m. on Animal Planet for the Puppy Bowl, 7 yeah. p.m. CBS for the Super oh, Bowl. Okay, so yeah. it's like you, separate. You can, you can, separate. Yep, yeah. you can separate from it completely. Sunday, this Sunday, I'm not going out. Mm-hmm. I'm not fucking talking to anybody. Okay. I fucking hate Super Bowl Sundays. Why? Because like, sure, enjoy the sport. I don't care that you enjoy the sport. All right. Every conversation in Super Bowl Sunday is about fucking Super Bowl. Yes, it is. Every single one of them. It definitely is. It makes me insane. Mm. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know who's in the Super Bowl. I don't know about the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, who who are you who are you rooting for in the Super Bowl? I I don't watch football. Oh, what do you mean you don't watch football? I just mm. don't. I just don't watch football. It's just like I'm just not into it. Mm. Why are you not into it? Fuck you, man. Let me live my life. You know, go watch the Puppy Bowl. Leave me alone. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, who am I rooting for in the Super Bowl? I'm rooting for the players to get guaranteed contracts and right. not to be treated like, you know, shit. And also um, not get concussions every time they step out into the fucking field. That would be great. I'm rooting yeah, for that. That would be pretty great. Yeah, yeah I'm, that's, that's what I'm rooting for. <laughs> Fuck the Super Bowl. Not, I'm just not not into the foot, not into NFL. It's like not not saying that I'm not into football, right. like throwing the ball to people and catching it and running the football. I'm That's like great. as a sport, you know, cool. I don't yeah. have anything against that. The same way I don't have a problem with soccer or basketball, baseball, anything else. Mm-hmm. I have a problem with the National Football League as a brand. Yeah, you know that, that I, that's. That's all I have to say about that. I, I don't want to talk about football. No, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm done with the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. 
But that's uh, that is for television. Uh, movies. We only got one movie that, of note coming out this week called Miss Bala. Miss it's, Bala. It's yes. a PG thirteen action drama thriller. I know what this is. Uh, stars Gina Rodriguez and Anthony Mackie. Uh, says Gloria finds a finds a power she never knew she had when she is drawn into a dangerous world of cross border crime. Surviving will require her cunning, uh, inventiveness, and strength. Based on a Span- Spanish language film. Okay. Interesting. Catherine Hardwick is the director. And they have marketed the shit out of that in Telemundo. Oh, really? <laughs> Some, like every, every Hispanic market, they just hit that movie hard. Huh. Yeah. Which makes sense, I guess, based on a Spanish film. You, you know, I, oh, I, something I should have said in the middle of the um, uh, while we were doing the show. Mm-hmm. After seeing First Reform, that's the only one of the movies that were like top five that people were saying to one of the best movies of the year. Mm-hmm. After seeing First Reformed, there is no way that Roma doesn't walk away with all the awards. <laughs> And it's like, and I, I just gave, I just gave this an eight out of ten. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I fucks with First Reformed, but after seeing First Reformed, one of the best films of 2018. Roma still very. Much. Roma crushes Damn. everything, Brian. I have to watch Roma. Yes, really there's do. no. This is Alfonso Curion's masterpiece. Nice. Like, nice. I can't, I can't harp enough. Like for people that love film, mm-hmm. like, and I assume you do because you're listening to the show. Right. Like, watch Roma. Like. It's, it should, if it doesn't win everything at the Oscars, it's a travesty. It's a, tra- it's a fucking travesty, Ron. We got eventually we're gonna have to watch this and do it on the show. It's yeah, that yeah. good of a agree. movie. It really is. Because I haven't seen it, and putting it on the show would make me just sit my ass down. And watch it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not surprised that Roma. Because everyone that I've talked to about Roma has just been like, "Yeah, that's fucking amazing, dude. Yeah. Like, just fucking watch it." Yep. Um, yeah, man. I'm excited to catch up with a lot of the movies, and I'm really glad that we did First Reformed because yeah, it was one of the few that I wanted to catch up. It's one of the best of 2018. I'm so fucking lovely. Oh, yeah. It would have absolutely made it on my list if I had watched it in 2018. Same. Same. Um, is that it? Is that all Definitely. we got for television and movie premieres? Yeah. Man, what a bummer. That's a short week. Yeah. Fucking January and February, man. They're just rough. We got, we got some stuff for next week. We got some stuff for next week? Yeah. Nice, nice. When does this uh, bullshit Infinity Wars thing come out? Is that in March? I'm not sure. Like, I, like after I was so disappointed by the other one, I stopped even <laughs> keeping even check. Care. Yeah, I saw the trailer. Did you see the trailer for the new Spider-Man? I don't yeah. know if we talked about that yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't. Yeah. Oh, okay, but anyway, yeah. that's all I got. All right. um, yeah. So I guess I'll do the spiel now. Thanks. Thank you guys for listening. We will see you next week. You can find us on Twitter at underscore FFS Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the FFS Podcast. You can find us on iTunes Podcast app, Google Play Music, and Stitcher app under the name for film's sake. My personal Twitter handle is at Brian Archia. I'm at T-H-A underscore V-O-N-Z. Hey. Hey, thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>